This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, Dr. Roos shares in-depth about the three words of love. You may want to grab your preferred way of taking notes, because there is much information about to be shared. Let's join the Emmanuel service right now for the message. The title of today's message is The Trajectory of God's Love. The Trajectory of God's Love. We are all made in God's image, and He's the Creator. And so if the Creator is the one that made us, He also is the Creator of love. In Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of humanity, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And we looked at how when we're made in God's image, it's the imago Dei. Every person has value. Before the label on your life, whatever it is that you did, or how people kind of label others nowadays, you have intrinsic sacred value because God made you, amen? That he has a smile on your life and that you matter and it doesn't matter what you've come from, it matters for you to recognize your creator thinks you're special. And because you're special, your journey of discovering what love is has to go back to the creator. We gotta ask him what love is. And there's a lot of different ideas, but how many know the the manufacturer knows best what he manufactured? He knows us better than we know ourselves in many ways. And unfortunately, in today's culture, we've gone through identity theft. And the identity theft is we've lost this sense that our value comes from God. As I think about this, and we're talking about love in our culture, in the conversation on love, identity, and sexuality, beginning with the correct foundation is of ultimate importance. Confusion comes when we have experiences, and our experiences lead us to conclusions that are just a little off. A little off doesn't mean everything is bad, but it does mean that everything is in danger as time goes by. Whatever happened in the beginning stages of humanity still affects us as the children of Adam and Eve. I want you to turn with me to Genesis again. In Genesis chapter 2, you're going to see what happened to Adam and Eve after they were created and God was beginning to tell them how to live. Of course, Adam and Eve had a responsibility. When they got married, they didn't get married so that they would please each other. They were workmates. They had work to do and they needed each other to tend the garden that God had for them. It says, of the tree, verse 17, of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. You shall not eat. And the serpent now comes along, separate from God. The serpent, also known as Satan here in the story. The serpent, it says, was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. And God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now this is an interesting story, because very simply, they do disobey God, and they do sin, But the serpent slips in and he asks a question 
that is much like the question that is whispered in your ears 24-7. Did God really say that? Oh, you're not going to die. There's not going to be any consequences. There's no consequence. You can get away with it. It's not going to hurt you. God's trying to keep you from something good. And the serpent will whisper that into your ear. And the fundamental challenge in all questions related to what is best for identity, for marriage, for sexuality and life, is God really correct with what he said? Adam and Eve listened to the lie and they sinned. I want you to realize that today, all of us have a challenge. Which voice are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to the voice of truth Before sin, God created us, knows how we're meant to work on the earth and how we're to love and how we're to be loved. Or are we going to listen to the one that corrupted God's ways, who still wants to lie to us and say, did God really say that? Adam and Eve listened to the lie and they sinned. Now I want you to look at, there was a result for their actions. The result of disobeying God, the result of sin on their identity, the results of sin on their relationship with God, the result of sin on their relationship with each other, look at verse seven of Genesis chapter three. At that moment, their eyes were what? Open. And they suddenly felt what? Shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. They felt shame. Now, before they had sinned, they walked and they didn't feel bad about themselves. They were, everything was good. They had good relationship with each other. They had a good relationship with God. But now they felt a gap. They felt something. They had stepped over the line. Sin does that. It begins to, you feel shame in yourself. Some people think, well, shame is cast from another person on me. Sometimes that would be true. Our voices of shame, we need to be careful how we communicate to our children and how we communicate to other people. But in this text we see, in this original story, that shame comes in because of their own actions. They disobey God and they felt bad about themselves. And what did they do with that? They, they decided that they were gonna cover up And they took these fig leaves. Now, how many know what happens to leaves when they get disconnected from the tree? They die. They die. In Minnesota, what happens to leaves in the fall? They die and they hit the ground, right? They aren't going to last for long. They fall apart. So they covered up with temporary leaves. I mean, this is a temporary solution. And that's what people do. When we make a mistake, we cover up. Some people, they cover up by trying to make themselves look more pretty, more powerful, more successful, whatever it is, and they try to cover up their shame. They try to cover up their, how they f- feel bad about themselves by presenting themselves as something else to other people. It's a natural consequence of the actions of sin. They try to cover up. How many know politicians and celebrities try to do it? And sometimes the cover-up is worse than the original action. Isn't it true? Adam and Eve began to do that. They covered up. But then they began to cover up and hide from God. Before sin, they got to walk and talk with God. Now they're hiding out from God. Now I want you to catch this. God is walking through the garden. Adam, 
Eve, walking through the garden. They're hiding from God. How many know God already knew where they were? When we hide from God, it's not as if God doesn't see us. He already knows where we are. We put in ourselves in a position where we separate ourselves from God. And this is what happened with Adam and Eve. It affected their relationship with God. They listened, and then they listened to the serpent. Then they took the action of sin. Then they had shame. Then they tried to cover up, and now they were hiding from God. And since Adam and Eve, we've all been born into sin. And as long as we hide from God or cover our shame, we will feel disconnection from real love. I love what Christian Yuan says. He says this, almost everyone enthusiastically embraces God's love, but we cannot grasp the depth of this love without first understanding our own sinfulness. Adam and Eve sinned. It's not a popular word in today's culture, but sin is real. And the consequences of sin are real. I'm not asking for a show of hands right now, but how many of you, you look back over your shoulder and you did some things that you paid the consequences for? There's things that resulted in it. There's things that it hurts you. Sin is real, and the consequences of sin are real. And we've been born into it. It's a concept that's called the original sin. When we're born, we're born into sin. And sin requires a savior. But you can't understand the love of God if you don't see yourself as a sinner. See, you have to understand in yourself, I have a propensity to walk away, listen to what the serpent says, and do what God doesn't want me to do. I can do that because I have sin. That's why I need a savior. That's why I need God's love. If I don't admit that I have sin, I don't need a savior. I don't need Jesus. But friends, it is fundamental that if you want the love of God, you've got to come to your senses and realize, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. We all need that, and we need to be reminded of that if we really want his love. Jesus was sent into the world to die for all of our sin. He was raised from the dead, showing that he has the power that we don't have to overcome sin, and he invites us to follow him. And when we ask the question, what is love, any step that denies God's word covers our shame and hides us from God. It results in a life that is leaning like the Tower of Pisa. When we walk away from what God really said, our life begins to lean like the Tower of Pisa. See, we can build positive floors in our career. We can have successes in aspects of our lives, but our foundation determines the trajectory of our story. It determines the trajectory of our story. Listen to what Jesus says about our heart and our life. Now, many times people love to see Jesus as the lovey-dovey. He doesn't really confront things. He doesn't, he doesn't point things out. Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. In Mark chapter seven, this is what Jesus' words are. For from within, out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from where? Within, they are what defile you. 
And if you don't catch this, you're missing a really big, important point. Jesus recognizes, and he's calling it out, and he's saying, listen, all those things that go on that are, lead to sin start in the realm of our heart. And what you need to know is that the first enemy of love is your own sin. It's not the stuff around you. It's your own sin. And you have a solution, and his name is Jesus. So I'm going to give you two sides of the coin. I'm not just going to say Jesus is a solution without us recognizing we have an enemy, and it's our own sin. Romans chapter 5 says this is how Jesus rescues us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This, friends, is good news. The good news is we have sin. It's near to us. That sin will rob us of real, true love. But Jesus said, I'm not willing that you stay in that. So he comes to the earth. While we were still sinners, he dies. And he alone has power over sin. Come on, somebody. That's like the best news all day long. Because all of us need to look in the same direction. If you want love, you got to look to Jesus. If you want to understand what true love is, real love is, you got to look to Jesus. And you can't look to Jesus unless you recognize where you're at. We start with our own sinfulness. We look to Jesus, and he gets us home. That's how love works. That's how life works. We put our attention on him. Now, I want us to look at three words of love today. And the three words of love that I'm going to start with, the first one is this, phileo, which is brotherly love. These three words are Greek words. Uh, our society is built off of Western philosophy, the history of Western philosophy. It's interesting thing to look in. But phileo, how many have heard of the city of Philadelphia? The city of Philadelphia is known as the city of what? Brotherly love. Brotherly love is a really important thing for us to understand. Brotherly love is, a, is this normal, relational affection that cares for other people. We all need it. It's friendship. It's the camaraderie of caring with each other. That type of love of phileo can be found amongst relatives. You, you can see it in Mark chapter 10. You can see it amongst friends in John chapter 11. And all of us need this type of love. This is the kind of friendship that is deeper than just acquaintance. Now, every relationship starts somewhere. I'm not only talking about marriage in this series. I'm talking about friendships and love, and we need love. We all need it. We need friendship in order to express it and receive it. But friendships, how do friendships start and work? One of my dreams is when people come to church, that they actually know some people over time, and that there's kind of a growth in the relationship, because you, know, you can come to church on Sunday, and maybe you'll bounce into people in the lobbies, or when you come in about five minutes after the service starts and you both are getting coffees at the same time, or maybe you sit in the same sections and you kind of notice certain people and maybe you've shaken their hand during the greeting time, but you don't really know them yet. So our dream is, is that you are able to take the next step where you actually build some friendships. And if you want to know how to build some friendships, we tell you how to do it in Growth Track where we just talk about getting on Team Emmanuel. Because when you can begin to serve with other people, 
You move from acquaintances to getting to know the person and true friendship starts growing and brotherly love has a chance to take place. We need to have that kind of connection in our story. We need friends. We all need somebody to lean on. See, we, we got to have that ability to connect to each other. Just seeing if you're still awake in here. We need to be able to know each other. We need to be able to get to know each other. And the type of things that are promises through the community of faith in the church are only found as we get to know each other. You can't just get it from hearing the preacher speak to you on Sunday. You gotta have actual sister to sister, brother to brother, connection and relationships. And the way it works is it moves from the outside in. You don't know somebody, you kinda know somebody. You get to see them every week because you're serving along side each other, or maybe there's a deeper level of faith that you get involved in a connect group, and then you begin to share your concerns and your cares, and you get to care for each other, or maybe somebody in your connect group, they couple has a baby, and now you're delivering food to them because they're at home and they need some help, and you can bring the food to them during the middle. All kinds of things develop out of that, but it has to start somewhere. Brotherly love is really important, and here's the cool thing. All friendships require shared experiences. If you want to build a friendship, then you got to have a shared experience with somebody else. You remember last week when we were at door number three and we were greeting people and they were coming in the door. And you remember that one guy? Yeah, he was kind of funny. Not that we like make fun of people when they come in the door or anything. But what I'm saying is that we can have shared experiences with each other. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? The Bible is full of encouragement to build brotherly love for all of your relationships. When you're reading the Bible, the cool thing is as you're going through the Bible, all of a sudden there's all kinds of stories and encouragement that will help you with your brotherly love. That will help you in your real relationships, your family relationships. And how do you get along with the people that you're around? Parents, how do you get along with your kids? How do you get along with the people that you love, your sister? How do you get along with the roommate? How do you get along with your boss or your coworkers or the people you go to school with? That's why when you read the Bible, sometimes the Bible reads you. Uh, being able to say, okay, what are you saying to me? And how does it relate to the rest of my life? So we need to grow in our phileo, our brotherly love. Build your friendships on the love that God's word teaches. Second word is the word eros. Eros is selfish love. Eros is love with a hook. Eros is when you love somebody, you love them so that you can get your need met. It's a hook. How many know 2020 America is full of Eros love? Eros. Another word that comes out of that same root word is erotic. It's temporary pleasure feeling, but there's love with a hook in it. Erotic also, how about erosion? Because when you get into that love, other things begin to erode. You lose your integrity. You lose your trust. You lose your security. Your self-identity is lost in it. As you get into it, you're hurt. You can't get into a relationship with somebody with arrows without somebody getting ripped off. In physical relationships, if the rule is that we do whatever feels good, somebody is going to get ripped off. 
And Jesus has a lot to say about this. In fact, he goes back and pulls from Genesis and the story of creation in Mark chapter 10. I want you to look there with me. In Mark chapter 10, this is what Jesus says. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. Notice he makes a distinction. Male and female are not the same thing. According to Jesus, I'm just saying that. They're different. They're different. Did God really say that? The serpent may ask. Yeah, God really said that. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Some versions say into one flesh. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Okay, now Jesus is saying it, and the phrase one flesh primarily denotes sex in marriage. That's what he's talking about. But it also communicates something more profound than simply lovemaking. The marital covenant is a permanent, exclusive, and holistic union of two people, a man and a woman. That's what Jesus is saying. I don't know how you can get any other conclusion from what he says. And he says this is what happened. Sex links a person to another. The two have become one. Not just physically, but there's another realm to who we are. How many know you are more than a body? You have a soul. You have a mind. You have emotions. You have a spirit. When you come together, the two become one. So before the fall, marriage was created by God. And the two became one. When people get together, they're not just one physically, they're physically and emotionally and spiritually, on the soul level, they are connected to one another. Now, I'm gonna share an illustration with you that I used to share when I was a youth pastor. And I thought about it, and I'm like, well, maybe I grew out of that. But what I've realized, all you are just grown-up teenagers. (laughs) And in today's culture... Everybody's got their own rules they've made up when we talk about sex or religion or identity or anything. But I want to take you back to what Jesus is saying. I want to talk about it the same way that I used to talk about it. And by the way, I'm not just talking to the younger crowd. I'm talking to every age. You know what the greatest rise in STDs amongst generations is? People over 65. Yeah, think about that one. We are a confused society. Because we're chasing Eros love, and it's ripping us off. But this is what I used to talk about. Could be teenagers, could be in middle school, high school. You begin to develop a friendship, a relationship with a kid. And by the way, kids are discovering what they can do option-wise, not from their parents and not from from adults anymore, they're getting it from their phone. Their entertainment, their information is coming from YouTube and from other places and they're discovering right from wrong what they can do and should do with their bodies. And it's scary, right? Because they're, they're hearing from adults who don't have maturity in their head. They're hearing from pornography and, and people that are producing stuff that has love with a hook. They're hooking people when they're young so that those people have to pay money out for the rest of their life and it's ripping them off. 
And it's destroying relationships, it's destroying their self-identity. It's killing a whole lot of things. That wasn't in my notes, that was just for free. Okay, so, <laughs> so we have a heart, and God's ideal is that we give a whole heart of integrity to another. And the two hearts become one, right? But when we're going through life, if we don't follow what God says and we hear the whisper of the serpent, when we go hang out with another and we have sexual activity, Jesus says that the two become one. Well, what if it was a one-night stand? And what if it was just a fling? What if it was just messing around? What if it was just on the down low? Your pastor said down low today in church. <laughs> what if that happened? Then when you leave that person, part of you is ripped off and left with the one that you had time with. And you might not be one that is sleeping around and doing a lot of stuff with other people, but over time with each of the relationships that you're in that aren't the permanent, exclusive, holistic, God's kind of love relationships, you've got pieces of yourself that are in other places. And when it comes time and you come down the aisle or you stand before a minister and it's time to give your heart away, this is what you have left. Now when I would talk about this with teenagers, my attempt was to say, I wanna give you a longer view than just your hormones are going crazy. Because God gave us a sexual drive. He, he made us attracted to each other. He, he put that in us, right? But he also gave us a way to love and to be patient until it's time. God didn't say don't have sex. He said to postpone it till you're in marriage. So this is what, what we need to understand. That some of you right now, I know, may be feeling a bit of shame. You might be like, pastor's making me feel bad. You're thinking about your history or the times that you're in the past. I don't want you to feel shame. In fact, I don't want you to cover that up anymore. What I do want you to realize, there is only one person, only one kind of love that can take all the pieces of Humpty Dumpty and put it back together again. There is only one way for you to go. Or else all you'll ever feel is insecure. You're saying, well, well, Pastor Nate, I didn't choose it. Somebody else did something to me. Under the sound of my voice, I know there are many people in here that have experienced some form of molestation or rape or other things. And I want you to know that was not God's design for you. I'm sorry and God hurt when you were hurt. But I also know this, the devil can't get the final victory on your life because you feel like your peace is on the ground. You can come back to him and he can rebuild your story into what his design is for your life. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.